And welcome back to the Invert Whistle Podcast. I am Scott Bach Hanson. And I'm Adam Brick. And today we're doing episode six. And Adam, last uh, episode we did the dumb things we do. And I think the theme for this week is going to be dumb and dumber. Yeah, I don't know if you're talking about us or we're talking about more officiating stuff. Probably both. Uh, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, but listen, we, we're getting down to the end of the season here. Next week, actually a week from today, is playoffs will start here in uh, Northern Virginia for the Northern Region and a couple of the districts. And we thought it would be a good chance for us to talk about some of the things that are that are going on out there. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Of course, we'll have our pet peeves and story time. Uh, but before we get into things, we, we really wanted to uh, uh, start with our interview. We have a, a great guest this week. And Tom Lopes. Now, Tom is um, the executive director for IBO, which is the International Association of Approved Basketball Officials. And you can visit their site at iaabo.org. They're also our sponsor this week. And uh, Adam, before we get into the interview, is there anything specific you want to share about uh, Tom at all? Well, Tom Lopes, or as uh, affectionately called Lopez, um, was very instrumental in helping me in my early days of my career at the college level. Um, a great individual. A uh, hell of a, a basketball official, um, and is is definitely a guy who somehow, some way, could referee thirty games in thirty one days. Um, he was amazing, um, knew how to handle so many different situations, uh, and was great in sharing that with uh, younger officials. So, looking forward to talking with Tommy today. I think you guys out there and gals will learn a lot from Tommy and hear more about. Aebo, and we're just looking forward to today's podcast. It is Groundhog Day, and there will be six more weeks of basketball season because I think the Groundhog saw its shadow today. Um, the other momentous occasion today is today, tonight, is Bach's return to the court after his incident where he lost a fight with the television. And so um, <laughs> he's had the surgery on his elbow and his arm, his bicep. He says bicep, but you know, I'm not sure there really is one there. And um, he returns to the court tonight, so I'm not sure where you are, but uh, Godspeed to the two teams uh, that you have tonight. Well, thanks, Adam. Uh, and, I, and I did ask for my first game to be on a small court with, with, with two good guys uh, or gals uh, to be on the court with. So uh, I will. Uh, yeah, this will already be done by the time everybody listens to this, but I will have worked the game at Marshall at TJ. So... Uh, good coaches to work for. Not that we don't have others, but it'll be a fun night. So let's get right into the interview with Tom Lopes, and uh, hope you guys enjoy it. All right, and welcome back to the Inadvertent Whistle Podcast. And today, as we had mentioned earlier, that we were going to have a, an interview, uh, a great guest today, and Tom Lopes. Tom is the executive director for IBO. That's the International Association of Approved Basketball Officials. Uh, Tom spent 40 years on the court. Uh, came off the court in 2007 and has been involved off the court. And uh, this will be his last year at Ibo. He's going to retire later uh, this year. So, uh, you know, first of all, Tom, thanks a lot for joining Adam and I, and, and we really appreciate uh, you coming on the show with us today. Uh, my pleasure, Scott. Love to talk to you. Hey, so, Tommy, I assume that you're retiring from the executive director's job because of the amount of money out there now in Division One ball. You're going back to the court? I, I, I'm giving it a lot of thought after I've seen uh, uh, some of the officiating that has been taking place. I think there might be room for me. I think there is room for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I agree. It's so changed. It's so changed. The amount of scrutiny is unbelievable. I mean, 
if you remember back to the days that we worked together, nobody really knew where we were. Now with the uh, with so many stations, uh, uh, so many college basketball, uh, you, you can't hide. Everybody's uh, out in the open. It's very transparent. And every call is very transparent. Every call is questioned. Every call is seen from five different angles. Uh, it's very, very difficult today. Uh, but I really pat on the back for all the officials that are working. They do a great job and push comes to shove. Their percentages in the high 90s. And, and you wouldn't be able to work eight games in seven days anymore? Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. But I would give it a try. So, uh, Tom, one of the things that I think is great about uh, when I came into this area, and, and I live in the D.C. metro area, um, is joining an organization that was uh, affiliated with IBO. And, and, you know, IBO is an international association, but it's, it's a very strong training organization with lots of great resources. You know, a lot of our listeners uh, have the ability or are already IBO members um, but there are some across the country that don't know about IBO, that don't know that if, even if their association is not an IBO-related association, they can be individual. So I thought I'd ask you if you can just kind of give us a 10,000-foot view at IBO, what it provides to officials, and some of the resources that are available to IBO members. Sure, I'm going to do that. You know, we have about 170 boys, but we're, we're a, a New England Northeast uh, kind of organization where we have all the states from Maine down to Virginia or Colorado. Uh, right now we have about, oh, well over 16,000 members in 38 states. And some foreign countries, you know, we do, we do the instruction. People don't know that. If you look at the manual uh, in, in the book, you would see that uh, we also do the training for military bases in Germany, Italy, Japan, and Guam. Uh, so we are... Uh, Probably the most large, largest, actually, the largest uh, officiating organization in the country. Our, our focus is definitely on instruction and training, and that's uh, uh, our, our expertise. Uh, the things that we provide for our individual members at a, at a low cost, $35, people doesn't need one. And when I took over 10 years ago, I said I would never raise dues or find a way. Uh, to attract sponsors, vendors, et cetera. And we've done that, been very successful with that, but dues have not changed. And people said, well, what do you get for your $35? I said, hold on. It's really not $35. It's $17. What do you mean? I said, if you didn't belong to us, you have to buy the, buy the officiating manuals and uh, books from the NFHS because you're 18. Oh, okay. So they're finally getting to realize that it only costs $17 to join our association. We part ourselves and us. Education and training. Uh, one of the things we mentioned on this year was called uh, Inside the Lines. And we were, right now we're, we're sitting on 14,500 emails. And every Sunday night, play of the week, along with the instructional tips, uh, questions that have been sent to us, rule questions uh, answered, that comes out to everybody in their email every Sunday night during the season. That's one of the things we implemented this year. The response has been outstanding, outstanding. We get some, and how do you probably like this? We get some, we get some questions that you, you shake your head and say, here is a 20-year-old person asking a question like, if the shot doesn't hit the ring, is the shooter allowed to get it? Well, you answered your question when you said it was a shot. So it was, it's, it's interesting the question that now. We and I can laugh about that because we, we made it know better. But that person didn't. 
And so we so it's our role to make sure that that person's question is answered appropriately with the rule references on it. One of the things that we have a lot of fun with uh, uh, is our officiating schools. You notice I didn't use that other word. So that attendance sometimes has a negative connotation camps, which are done you know, uh, by individuals to make money. We make nothing on our camps, and we don't want to make any money. We call it officiating schools. It is such so great that we only want the one, two, three-year officials to help to help them become competent, so that they're looking to increase their schedule. They're looking to uh, get better games. They're looking to move from freshman to JV. And so those camps are three days of intensive uh, classroom study, on the court, um, critique, and filming. And uh, it's it's so great to see them approve. And then and then you get a note from the so I made my first varsity uh, scheduled, and it was due to coming to the Idaho school. We have the the, the best clinicians I think uh, around the country who are, are on call. Uh, and I know it like if you would send us a, a question, rules, rules question, or mechanics question, that question is answered within 48 hours. So they are on call to provide examinations for uh, people who uh, that pass, become members of our association, but they take it very serious. We see a trend, too. We used to, used to be all of a, a fall uh, unit where the kids would come in, the, the young folks or people looking to become an official. We come in September, take 11 weeks of class, and pass the test, and get ready for the season. It's kind of outdated if we're promoting doing the classes in the spring, so that they pass the test, the written test, they submit to their eight sections, ten sections of instruction. They pass the test. Now we can put them on summer basketball for their four test mechanics, and by the time September rolls around, you know they're ready to become a full-fledged member. Uh, you sent in a note, you know, what, what are some of the things that, that uh, we're struggling with? And you know we're struggling with the safety that everybody is across the country. There's a lot of new officials. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that just now. What, what, are, you, what are you guys, you know, what, what, what strategies are you guys putting in place for helping boards with? Because we're struggling with it too. Oh, I know. And, uh, so just take Delaware. Delaware, Delaware now has, has approved, Delaware State Athletic Association, approved officials working double-headed. Because they can't get enough officials. Well, what's in the what's one of the negative things that you guys see in effect? You know, it's becoming a weekly thing. Of officials being assaulted. Uh, oh yeah, it's crazy. Like two weeks ago, um, uh, there were a uh, man, and woman official come out off the court, and this guy came out of the stand and uh, and pushed the woman official, yelling out about bad calls on his daughter, and he was a cop. Oh, good lord. What message, you know, what message? So that's a negative. People say, well, why do I, why do I want to be yelled at for, for an hour? And you and I referee, and I remember you in particular, you, know, you, <laughs> said you, you thought your first name was Mother. It was. <laughs> and we know what your last name was. <laughs> Rhymes with trucker. So we, uh, we uh, are doing a, a publicity, uh, uh, our, local, our local boards are... We actually have three programs in three different colleges. That, like for the uh, recreation and mural program, we have University of Maryland, uh, Metro University of Colorado, and uh, uh, UConn, uh, where we have actually have reference classes. So we're trying to reach down further. Now our next our next uh, uh, thing we want to try is going through the rec league and offer offer our training free of charge to the 
people, young folks who they bring in to roughly those you know, fifth or seventh or eighth meetings. So it's a never-ending battle. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and kind of along those lines, Tommy, one of the things that I know that when I was fortunate enough to, to come up and, and work in games with with guys like you and, and Mike Kitts and, and a little bit earlier we were talking about Tommy Scott, I mean, the veterans who who were not only really, really good officials, but more importantly, uh, great guys. And I, I include you in that um, uh, company. Um, but the, the things that you did for guys like me, the young guys coming up, how you helped us. Just curious if you can provide some advice to, to both veteran high school basketball officials on how they should lead, and and what advice you have for younger officials on how to how to accept that from the veteran official. That's, that, that's, you just gave the key the key question uh, to officials. Uh, first of all, the veterans you know should never lose sight of where they came from. You know, starting from you know back in high school, they made that jump to college, and then as they moved up to college ranks, you know, to, to watch out for the, the, the lookout for the young officials as they're coming coming up. Now, one of the you had mentioned something about pet peeves. Uh, you know, one one of the one of the things we had uh, that I didn't like in my my fellow officials were the uh, sometimes over officiating that they did to shut up. Listen, I, I'm working with the Young fella, he really doesn't know what he's doing. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna just take over. Don't worry about these things, you know, kid. You know, you call me out of bounds, I'll take care of everything else. That is, is, is extremely negative. Uh, if you make them feel comfortable from the beginning, and work with them during the timeouts, things that you might want to just suggest here and there, I think it's so so important. And you're doing it, you're doing it. I think the greatest thing in officiating is. Looking back, when some young official actually makes it, say, done in the ACC or in the Olympics, and you had a hand in helping him, you know, make that. There was no, to me, one of the greatest thrills in being a, a veteran. Yeah, Tom. The, the other thing you said uh, that you mentioned before were like some of the, the changes in officiating. You might guys might be too young to understand it. Did you, did you ever do a, a two-person game in Division One? No. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. You and I worked a game once where we kind of did a two-person game. <laughs> Mon, remember, Monty was sick as a dog. Oh, he was after yeah. We had to cover his territory, but that, that was just. But somebody asked me that question uh, not long ago. I forget. I was speaking to, to I don't grew up in Massachusetts, and he said to me, "How how hard was it back then? You know, what are the you had mentioned like what are the changes in basketball, the changes in officiating, that, and it was going from crew two to crew three. Uh, so they, uh, they said, you know, how difficult was it? You know, I, I don't know. We didn't know anything else. We came up with two, with two officials. So there was no difference, no change. Certainly, certainly it became better when we, when we took us a year or two to really become uh, proficient at two or three. Well, and you remember when, when, when you went from high school to two or three in, in, uh, in, in college? What was the biggest change? What was the, what was the hardest thing for you to adapt to? Was letting as that, well for me going from back and forth from two to three was knowing that you had that slot over there and to lay off some of those calls coming from that side of the floor is the least. Okay. Even before that, though, when you first when when you first did it, your biggest concern at that time was what? I'm not giving you the answer. 
Well, trying to think. For me, yeah. for for me, it was just making sure that uh, I didn't, you know, I got the lines right and I didn't call my my partner's areas. Okay. Okay. Uh, I would I, I would say that our biggest concern back then was knowing where we were supposed to move to. You know, everybody was worried about where they were supposed to go. Instead of refereeing the play. Instead of calling the game. Right. Instead of calling the game. So that was a, you know, certainly we're over that now. But, but when you're teaching your, your younger officials that, that uh, three persons, you will uh, you will see that at first. You know, I was worried about where I'm supposed to be. That's a good point. You know, we had the long switch that, that's causing a lot of people problems now, and, and they're more worried about that than actually Correct. getting the plays right. So, yeah, that's 100% right. So tell me, what was it? I mean, back then when you were working two men, where did they keep the ladder when you had to go get the ball out of the peach basket? <laughs> Smart ass. <laughs> so, no, 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 we didn't have the ladder then. We had a jump ball at the basket. There you go. There you go. So tell me, one of the things that I remember from uh, when I was a rules interpreter uh, for IBO Board 12 and going to some of the, the annual meetings or the, the, the spring meeting and the fall meeting is just having other uh, interpreters. You guys had some interpreter roundtables, and I was on the rules uh, committee and got to sit with great people like Pete Webb and sure. um, Al Batista and some of these other guys that are just so ingrained in rule knowledge and be able to just to pick apart their brains. And, and now the next generation's coming along. And, and earlier you told us uh, before the interview that, you know, you guys are doing a weekly uh, call uh, and you're, you're also doing a lot of things with the interpreters. Can you kind of talk about what you're doing with them and how that's evolved over the, the last few years? Okay. Yeah, what, what we did, we made four regional uh, four native interpreters and uh, to, to help us uh, cover all of our territory so that if they had a, a question in, in Delaware, we'd go to a certain interpret, which is uh, Lane Drexel, uh, and we have somebody up in Maine, and so we put our four, four brains uh, together. Our form, the spring meeting is all business, you know, that's board secretaries, rosters, uh, all the things that we do to constitutional changes to keep the uh, organization uh, sound. The fall is the meat and potatoes uh, of our, it's Friday, all day Friday, all day Saturday, and Sunday morning with, with presentations. Certainly with the technology, you know, with our PowerPoints, with our, our video plays, we illustrate the, uh, the material. Now, it's, our function at the fall meeting is to train the trainers. Like when you were the, the interpreter, Scott, you know, we try to prepare you. And, and every presentation that we do is given to you, like if it's, if it's a PowerPoint and plays, that comes on a, on a stick you know, for your use. You, we want you to be able to walk out of that meeting and go to yours. And have the presentations all ready for you, so you already just uh, you don't have to put it together. We've done that for you, and that's that's our role. We, we call our, we call that train to train this weekend, and uh, on Sunday morning is when we do all the new rules and uh, their uh, mechanics that go with it. So we want all of our interpreters to give the same message to all of our people across Idaho land. Without we're trying to we're trying to do all the work for them, so that they take that back and are able to um, train the, the Ibo call it the Ibo way, train the Ibo way so that everybody is on the same page throughout Ibo way. And if you ever come to a meeting, meeting right now, Peter Webb, you know, he, he retired. 
uh, it's a great source. Uh, Albert Easter gives us a lot of uh, Albert, just a great basketball mind. And he's a big, big help. He gave a good presentation this fall, and uh, he's on our list of uh, speakers. Uh, we do, we we alternate. Some sessions go 35, 40 minutes. We're doing that. We found that the short, quick hitters are much more impactful for the for the, for the uh, uh, interpreter who is taking that uh, package back. And you know, it's one of the things that annoys me. One of my pet peeves is I have a, a board. That only concern we do we as a, a parent organization do no assigning, don't get involved in assigning any any which way is that's strictly local uh, issue. Well so I think I remember that's, oh, that's a big piece of it too, is is a lot of people you know think of their associations as that that's where they get their gains, whereas IBO is strictly focused on the training and the education of officials. And before, before we get to the next step, I, I want to make sure I get your, your website out there. So for anybody that's interested and just looking at what IBO can provide, if you're not an IBO member, if you want to bring it to your association, maybe have a, a guest clinician or a guest speaker come, you want to go to iaabo.org, and that's IBO. Again, it stands for International Association of Approved Basketball Officials, and that's iaabo.org. Adam, you wanted to follow up? Yeah. Tommy, if a, if a high school board is not a member of IBO, I guess I got a two-part question for you. Number one, can an, an individual official can become a member? Correct. And then, if they're interested in reaching out to you about how their board becomes a part of IABO, what would they do? That's exactly what you just said. You contact uh, myself or Donnie Epley, who's my executive assistant, and uh, we lay out a, a, a plan for you. Need a minimum of five members to start a board. Uh, the uh, uh, it's very simple. Uh, it's a very small nominal charge uh, for forming, and then we help you design. You know, you usually have a constitution in place, and then we 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 can help you with your assigning issues. That has to be taken care of internally, but the uh, instruction you, you will see an immediately impact on your instruction. We work with your uh, your interpreter and bring them up to speed. And uh, provide all the uh, services. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, if you go to the website, you'll find that what does IBO do for you? It's a two and a half page document of all the services that we that we provide you as a, as a member. And again, for for seventeen dollars, it's 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 a pretty good it's a pretty good buy. But we help you with your forming your organization as well, and what you should have, you know, legal responsibilities for the Constitution. Uh, the biggest issues boards have are. A, Assigning. So, uh, some the only time we get involved is there are grievances that come our way after being not being able to be. Uh, I mean, as part of the appeal process as it comes to us. Right. I know about 15 to 20 years ago, I was our somehow, some way, I must have missed a, a board meeting here at, at 255 Cardinal and became the acting interpreter because we had an interpreter that stepped away. And I know this that I used a lot of IABO materials to get me through that teaching the class that, that fall. <laughs> you, forced, you, you forced me into coming down to speak to your group, I remember right. I think I probably did. I tried to get you for 10 weeks. You wouldn't do it. <laughs> well, I was still waiting for the check for that. <laughs> it's in the mail. <laughs> so, Tommy, uh, this this spring, the IBO uh, spring meeting is down your neck of the woods in Ocean City. you got some good it's golf courses down there, don't you? It is beautiful, lovely, uh, the dynamite Ocean City, Maryland. And the golf outing will be on Thursday at Ocean City Country uh, Ocean City Golf Club. Uh, 
Yeah, 36 old there, beautiful place uh, to play. And again, that's the business meeting uh, where we'll, we'll have uh, all the budgetary things uh, and the Constitution Committee, uh, the Interpreter Committee, and all those things that we have, like I said before, the meat and potatoes. Now, talk about meat and potatoes next fall. Just in case you guys are interested in attending, it's going to be a great meeting with my Cape Cod. Um, doesn't get any better than that, does it? Nice. Nice. But going back to the, to the spring meeting, um, out in Ocean City, doesn't that guy Scott Foster play some golf out there? Yeah, that's where he plays. But he plays at uh, he plays at Glen Riddle. Uh, uh, I, I must have missed his invite, uh, but I keep checking the mail because I heard it was coming. Uh, He's probably looking to try to take some of his money. Oh, I'm, I'm 75 years old with a, with a 14 handicap. You know, I'd be like easy seconds for him. So we yes. we need to negotiate strokes now, or are you going to wait for the first tee? Oh no, not to the first tee. Not to the first tee. You don't you don't know how you're feeling that day. You know, uh, I have to get I have to stop at my my golf course on the member of Ocean City and get get a phony uh, handicap sheet. And bring that over. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you might you might actually want to reach out to good old Scott Foster, not to good old Scott, Scott Foster. Foster. That's right. <laughs> I think Chris Paul might be available around then to play golf. <laughs> I'm not touching that, that with good. a spinach pole. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tommy, hey, Tommy okay. yeah, we we really appreciate you coming on, and and you know, I think the most important thing for us was to make sure that um, Ibo uh, does such a great job with teaching and education, and we have a lot of listeners across the country. We have we actually have people listening to our show in Iceland, Jamaica. Australia. Um, I don't know who went on vacation and just happened to put on the, the podcast, but we, we wanted to get the word out. I know there's a lot of guys out there in California and Texas and other places that may not be as aware, and I, I just want to make sure we had a chance. So uh, I wanted to thank well, you. Yeah, let me, can, we, can I just add one? You know, um, sure. Uh, let's see one thing. Just one, one other, one other uh, caveat to throw out there is about how well respected we are. And FHS uses us to develop a, uh, you know, you make the call video. We've been doing that for three years now. They use that nationally. If you go to their website, uh, you make the call is on there. It's called you make the ruling. And uh, uh, it's on their website, and it's uh, free for everybody across the country to log into. They thank to us, and we've been developing that every year. Second, IBO is, is uh, an advisor to the rules, rules committee. Uh, I attend the meeting as as, uh, as an advisor uh, and sit at the same table with the representatives from federations you know throughout the country who uh, make the rule changes each year. And so uh, you know, they think that much of us that we uh, that we are on their advisory pa- uh, panel. So just wanted to, to share that with you. Um, we made inroads in California. We 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 have all of Colorado. And a bunch of other states here, some small groups in it. So, we cover 38 states, and I appreciate you allowing us to get the word out. Thanks so much, Scott. Hey, and Tommy, on a personal note, I also want to thank you. You may not want to take blame for this, but I appreciate uh, you helping me throughout my career. Uh, just getting a little bit better from year to year, hopefully. Um, but I do appreciate all that you did for me, and uh, thanks for coming on the show today. Appreciate that comment very much. Thank you. Adam. All right. Guys, great talking with you. You too, Tommy. Take care, buddy. I hope to see you soon. Very good. Thanks. So, Adam, it's it's obviously uh, great to hear from Tommy Lopes after, uh, you know, such a distinguished career. Now he's almost uh, going to be on the way out 
as the executive director of IBO next year, he's going to step down. And is there anything that, that really resonated with you in that interview uh, that, that people can learn from, uh, you know, at any level? Yeah, I think the probably the biggest takeaway for me is is just the importance of using resources and tools to get yourself better as an official and how we do that. And one of the things that Scott's done for Cardinal Basketball Officials Association, IBO Board 255, is introduce the use of huddle and videotape. Um, so as officials, we can go on and watch our games from beginning to end. And sometimes, yeah, the camera angle isn't the greatest because it's a one-camera shot. But un- nonetheless, if we are willing to be uh, self-critical to a certain extent, but I- again, I believe self-awareness and reflection are two of the most important traits that, a- that an individual can have. If I'm willing to go on the tape and, and-, and take a-, a very objective look at the calls I'm making, the calls I'm not making, why did I miss that? Why did I miss this? so that I don't do it again, uh, and be honest with myself, I think that's the way we get better. Um, and that's one of the things that IABO does, is provide a lot of those teaching resources uh, for officials to get better. Um, and I think it's incumbent upon each individual official for us to, to want to get better and not think that we've made it, not think that we can't get any better, um, I've watched a lot of tape. I've watched a lot of tape of my games. I've watched a lot of tape of other games because Scott's asked me to. And I've yet to see the perfect game called. Um, and we know there won't be. And so what is it that we did uh, during the game that we could have done better uh, or could have done differently to have avoided making a, an incorrect call, uh, missing a, a call that we passed on? Could we have avoided a technical foul in this situation? Should we have called a technical foul in a different situation? Could we have handled it differently? I, I just think it really comes down to the willingness to be self-critical. You know, Adam, that's that's a really good point. I, I think, you know, with the advent of video, you know, we didn't have the access to video that, that we have today, you know, five, ten years ago. Um, and, and again, we talked about this at the beginning of the year. Playoffs are going to be starting soon, you know, for us next week. And beyond, and and it, it baffles me sometimes that if I have a playoff game and there's a team that I maybe I haven't seen all year, or maybe they've changed their style during the year, um, and I haven't seen them in a while, and they went on a hot win streak, why wouldn't I take the time to to try to find that video and watch that game or watch the teams I'm getting ready to referee so I can understand their tendencies? I might be able to see. You know what kind of defenses they they are establishing? Are they pressing? Are they doing any traps? You know how might that impact and change our positioning and the way that we do things? So, video is not just for us to evaluate our own games and, and our own calls and making sure we do the right things, but also it, it's really meant to be a tool that will help us in our overall officiating scope. So, um, and it might be it, it might be a good time you know to kind of you know I'm sounding like I'm on a soapbox here, so maybe it's a good time to talk about our pet peeves. But I, I just want to make sure that you know be students of the game. There, there's a lot of opportunity out there, um, you know, to to evaluate the teams that we're getting ready to officiate. Besides just word of mouth, so let's talk about pet peeves. Well, let me talk about what's bothering me today. Um, well, first of all, a shout out to uh, our second or satellite studio, the Vienna Inn. Um, 
but I ordered steak and eggs this morning and they didn't have the steak. So I'm back to the French toast. I highly recommend the French toast at the Vienna Inn. Awesome place. Um, one of the things that drives me crazy uh, about the stuff that we as officials do as part of the Dumb and Dumber is we are reactionary instead of thinking people. Uh, and what I mean by that is we react too quickly sometimes, particularly to contact that we see and we put air in the whistle sooner than we should have. Whereas if we take the time, we all know the, the concept of refereeing the defense. If we take the time to anticipate the play, but not the foul, watch the whole play, let it develop, and then make a decision as opposed to just reacting. Um, this really is a thinking person's game. We have to think about time, score, circumstance. Um, again, what the young folks today call cataloging. I call consistency. What have we been calling to this point in the game? Um, is this contact that warrants a whistle? We go back to the tower philosophy. Um, you know, If you can answer yes to was somebody put at a disadvantage? Did somebody gain an advantage? Or if I don't put air in the whistle, will this lead to rough play later on? If you answer yes to any of those, then you need to put air in the whistle. If you can lay off the whistle a little bit, um, then you may be able to let the play go. And it's, and it's better for the game. I know this, that when I make mistakes, and I do, in a game, I'd rather, um, when the call goes into the commissioner or the assigner, the, the assigner can defend us when we make the correct call, even though the call may be a second or two late. It's really hard for the assigner to defend us when the coach calls up and says, hey, you know, uh, Brick made this call in the game and it was the incorrect call. It should have been a block and it was a charge. And the assigner can say, well, yeah, but wasn't his whistle quick? As opposed to the a coach calling in and saying, hey, you know, uh, Brick had a late whistle on this play. And the assigner can say, yeah, but the, but the play was correct. So we can get defended and we can defend ourselves when we get the plays right. And the only way to get the plays right is to make sure your positioning is good, uh, you're looking in the right places, you're trusting your partners, and you're letting the entire play develop before you make a decision. And to me, decision implies thinking. Um, and the thinking part to me also goes along the lines of managing the game, uh, particularly during situations where it's downtime. It's maybe not a dead ball, but it's downtime. For example, during a free throw. If you're the trail and a three-person crew on a free throw and there are players in the backcourt you don't need to be standing in the backcourt, but you sure darn better be watching those kids in the backcourt. The other two officials can handle the free throw shooter and the six guys or six gals on the lane line. Uh, our responsibility are all those off of uh, the lane line and the non-shooter. Non but it, it just comes down to thinking. Uh, think more and react less. Well, speaking about thinking um, or how we incorrectly think about things, my pet peeve this week is just that sometimes we don't take a step back and think. And and I'm going to specifically talk about what happens at the table before a game. Uh, we had an incident or, or, or a situation recently, you know, locally where a team, um, you know, was supposed to have their, their book ready by the 10 minute mark. The official went over and uh, at 11 minutes and, and noticed that the, the, there was nothing in, in the home side of the book. It was there. There was no person there. And instead of trying to figure out a way to avoid the situation of 
potentially calling a, a technical foul or, or work on preventative officiating. Um, so, well, I'll just hang around here for another minute or two and see if anybody shows up. And uh, instead, they they uh, went over at 9.45 and told the head coach, hey, I'm sorry, we have to start the game as a technical foul. If we just put our thinking hat on for just a, a, a split second, remember that the rule says that the information has to be provided to the table. It doesn't have to be in the book. So even if they just have a sheet on the table, the, the rosters of the team, you can go by the head coach and say, which ones are the starters? Can you check them off? And then go put it on the book. You know, that's going to cover you. And, and, and what ends up happening is it's almost like we, we end up trying to be too judicious in, in that process. And, and I think that we need to look at ways to avoid, you know, that opportunity. And, you know, first of all, nobody wants to start a game with a technical foul. Um, I know that many of us have been in a game where we've come out on the court at the 15-minute mark, and here comes our clock operator that tells us, by the way, uh, the blue team was dunking. Okay, great. They weren't dunking when we're out here, so we're not throwing that in the game. Uh, I have to witness it. So uh, th- those are the things that we end up trying to really try to manage through and think things through as opposed to just you know hitting a technical foul um, real quick. The other thing... I'm going to add a second pet peeve on an injured player. And I had a video sent in by one of the local teams recently where a player went down and hurt their shoulder. Um, There was no advantage gain. There was no fast break. All four defenders of this teammate were behind the offense. So there was no chance for the offense to, to get ahead of them, to get a layup out of it. And instead of calling and blowing the whistle right away, we let them pass it around for about 15 to 20 seconds. And then we hit the whistle. I'm just going to say this. As officials, we need to protect the players. It's our responsibility. If there's a clear fast break, that's one thing. But if there's a head injury or there's definitely that they need medical attention right away, we blow our whistle. We don't think about it twice. I'd much rather go to the coach and say, listen, I blew the play dead because I was worried about player safety. If any coach has an issue with that, then they have bigger problems. I think it's really important for us and incumbent on us to make sure that we're the keepers of the game and we protect the kids. So blow the whistle, get the, get the right people out there to take care of, of the student-athletes, and let's make sure that we communicate with the coaches as to what's going to happen next and why we did what we did. Well, this is a good time to go into story time. And one of the stories that I'd like to share actually relates to what Scott just talked about in terms of dealing with the table pregame. Uh, years years ago, I was I was doing a, a girls uh, boys varsity doubleheader, two intense rivals, uh, Millbrook and Hanley, and we were out at Millbrook, and we're out on the court for the girls varsity game, and uh, both teams are wearing the same color jerseys. They're both wearing white, and the the visiting team manager had uh, packed the wrong jerseys uh, in the bag, so. Uh, she was actually already on her way back uh, to the school to get the correct jerseys. The numbers didn't match up home and away for their uniform. So we were kind of waiting on that. And the home coach came up to me and said, I guess we're going to be starting the game with a technical foul because their starters aren't in the book. And I said to her, okay, before we get to there, let's, let's talk about, um, you know, the reason for the rule. The reason for the rule is so that you know who's starting for the opposing team, right? She said, yeah. I said, well, this is your biggest rival, so I'm imagining uh, you've seen them play three, four, five times. She goes, oh, yeah. I said, so you know who's starting for them? 
She said, yeah. And I said, well, we really don't need to start the game with a technical foul then. I really don't need to put that on the poor manager who inadvertently brought the wrong uniforms and there's no reason to, to penalize the team. And, and she saw the, the logic behind my reasoning and there was no need to do that. And most coaches aren't really looking for that potential two-point edge. Um, if you can have a reasonable uh, common sense conversation with them as to, as to why um, we're not going to assess a pregame technical foul for that. So it, it goes along the lines of what Scott was saying is, you know, if you go to the book, don't go to the book at 10. And I go to the book at 12 and I get the captains later. I don't need to get the captains when I walk out on the court. I go to the book first to anticipate any problems that there might be. Uh, count the players, making sure the starters are in the book. Uh, and if the starters aren't in the book, find somebody to pick them, go to the previous game. If there's nobody out, shoot, one time I picked them. I got four out of five wrong, but I picked them. Um, so those are things that we need to do as preventative officiating. It's the thinking part of the game. Um, so not a very funny story. I apologize for that. But if you're looking for funny, just come out and watch me referee. You'll be laughing your tails off. So <clears throat> in my, uh, I'm going to use my story time just to talk about, I'm not going to give you an actual story except for that I think it's really important that one of the things you keep hearing me talk about today and maybe the last couple of weeks is we've got to be students of the game. Um, years ago, I got to a point where I refereed Gonzaga High School so many times, I knew the offense. Um, Alex Harris, who was playing for them, he's now a, a trainer out here in the uh, Northern Virginia area and does a really good job with uh, teaching and training kids uh, drills and, and, and does some good stuff. But he'll tell you that when they ran the Eagle offense, I knew that the big man came up to the top of the key or the free throw line area, would catch the pass, and they would run backdoor sets off of that. And it was one of those things that after a while, you just got to know what the teams were going to do. You knew their tendencies. And that's why I said earlier, you need to get the videotapes and see what the defenses are looking like, what kind of plays they run, what are their inbounds plays. Um, there's a there's a team uh, that's been very successful the last few years. We know that... Sometime during the game, either off the jump ball to begin the quarter or out of a timeout, they're going to run a backdoor alley-oop play. Um, and I talk about that in my pregame. Let's be prepared. Let's make sure that that screen's set correctly. Let's not let it catch us by surprise. Um, the other thing is there's a lot of other resources out there. We have some, especially in the, the Northern Virginia area, we've got some great uh, resources available to us. Chris Jolly and uh, the Nova... Uh, hoops.com website updates all the standings, the scores, the schedule. It's a great place just to kind of figure out is your game that you're refereeing tonight, does it involve any seeding that's uh, important? Um, you know, who won the last time these two teams played? You know, what was the score? Were there any issues during that game? Um, there's a couple of guys over at uh, Rebel Run Sports. Uh, John and Rob do a great job uh, with breaking down uh, games. They do one game or two games a week. Um, and those guys have been at it for a while. Of course, our good friends at Nova Hoopcast and Brian Doyle and Kevin Weirin, um, you know, they're two former coaches uh, that know a lot about the game, and we, we've gotten to be good friends with them, and we're talking about maybe doing a, a joint podcast with them at some point. Whoa, whoa, did you say Kevin Weirin knows a lot about the game? I meant Brian. Okay. Kevin's on the podcast, but yeah. Okay, I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah. Um, and they have Jerry Lynn, too, so there's always extra support for, for Kevin's knowledge. 
Um, Matthew Hatfield down in the Virginia Beach area does a lot of stuff with VHSO and, and you know, the Ben Simon broadcast. So there's a lot of different places that you can listen to or you can watch or you can follow people on Twitter, go on their websites. And, and I think that there's a lot of opportunity that's missed. Um, don't just wait for somebody else to go out and tell you, hey, this is what's happening. You know, go out and be a student of the craft. Um, you, you don't have to wait for me to tell you that when you hear Eagle, the big guy is coming up to the top of the key. You should be able to know that and you should be able to talk to your partners about that if they're not aware. So um, that would be you know, something that I want to focus on during our, our story time this week. And, and I hope that uh, if nothing else, you'll be able to, to go on uh, some of these other podcasts or, or websites or you know, the guys at Rebel Run are on camera. Um, you know, we certainly couldn't be on camera. Uh, we're trying to protect our faces and the innocent. So, um, but that's going to do it for story time this week. So, um, Adam, I think we got some mailbag stuff, don't we? You've got mail. I got mail. Yay. I got mail. Yay. So as we get into our mailbag time, if you are interested in sending us a note, you can send us an email to brick and at gmail.com. That's B R I C K A N D. B-A-C-H at gmail.com. You can also follow us at the Inadvertent Whistle podcast. You can just type in Inadvertent Whistle on Twitter, but the address or Twitter handle is the at symbol and then I-N-A-D-V underscore whistle. So, Adam, who we got mail from this week? Well, we have mail from uh, Mark Bashik, who is a new official out in Northern California, and he listened to our last podcast and asked a question regarding communications. He said, you know, Brickenbach, I'm a younger official, and a lot of times I don't know what to say to a coach when he is asking me questions or making statements, and I'm, uh, and I'm struggling with communications. Any suggestions? Well, Mark, first of all, thanks for listening. And it's a heck of a question, and it really is something that, from my perspective, whatever you do in communicating with coaches has to fit your personality. So don't try to be, you know, like your brother Andrew or anybody else. You have to do what fits your personality. But what I will say is this. What coaches are looking for 99 times out of 100 is to know that you've heard what they had to say. They're not necessarily looking for an answer or a comment back. So you can do that with a nod of the head uh, if you're standing in front of them during a live ball and, and they're behind you. You can do it certainly with eye contact. Um, you can do it with, I, I got you, coach. I'll take a look. I hear you, coach. Understand. Some very short, simple words. Um you can you can also do it with with body language, and and what I mean by that is during timeouts, there are different ways we can stand. Um, you can stand with your arms folded across your chest, which a lot of folks will tell you that means you're not open to communication. Um, you can stand with your hands on your hips, which gives out different messages. Um, I prefer the kind of the casual look. I just put my hands in my pockets and just stand there like I'm waiting for a train. Usually I'm waiting for a train to hit me. Um, but I think you can communicate with coaches in a way without having to have a dialogue, but letting them know that you have heard what they had to say. Again, I've mentioned this word before, uh, and it's something that I continually mention, is empathy. 
we need for coaches and players to know that we have empathy for what they're going through because they really care about who wins and loses and we don't care who wins and loses. And those two uh, philosophies are directly opposite of each other. And so when they really want to win and we don't care who wins, um, sometimes we get to butt heads a little bit and we have to be uh, the bigger person in, in all of those interactions with coaches and particularly with players. So, and Adam, I, <clears throat> I agree. The, the Just having acknowledgement is a really important piece. And I would add that you, you want to just make sure that you stay within your own personal uh, comfort zone. You, you can't be Adam. You can't be me. You can't be somebody else. You got to be yourself. And whatever yourself is, you got to find the best way that you communicate. Um, you can certainly listen to what other people are saying and maybe take some things from them, but you don't want to do anything uh, outside of that box. Um, we also got another email from Scott Grove. Scott Grove's in Connecticut, and uh, he sends an email. Basically, uh, it says he just moved up up to Connecticut from our area. Doesn't have a lot of games going on. Loves the podcast, and he's really thankful that he doesn't have to work with Jerry Caruso, uh, one of our officials down here anymore. Aren't we all? <laughs> well, some of us still have to work with him. Um, but uh, to Scott, you know, we, uh, we're, we're glad that you're listening up there in Connecticut. We're also excited that we're getting some, some other people from around uh, the United States as well as, uh, you know, around the world. You know, again, we're still looking for our friends in Australia to write us or Jamaica. Uh, and we picked up a new listener in Iceland, um, which I didn't even know they had basketball courts there. But it's, I think it's pretty damn cool that somebody's listening to us from there. So. Uh, you know, as we as we wrap up this show, you know, we want to make sure that you guys are aware. Uh, we're going to try and get back, uh, you know, within a, a week or two. Adam's going to be doing some skiing, and uh, hopefully, you don't hurt yourself. Actually, I'll be doing some falling. But before we go, Scott, who's your pick in the Super Bowl this weekend? Other than Gene Steratore, good friend of ours, who's going to be the referee on the game. Who's your pick? Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't pick the Eagles because it's fun being a Redskins fan with the only team in our division that hasn't won one to continue to rub it in. So as much as I don't want the Patriots to win, I'm, I'm picking them. Did you say it's fun to be a Redskins fan? I didn't say that. I think you did. We're going to have to go back to the videotape. But thanks for listening, and may this be the only inadvertent whistle in your day. Crashing, hit a wall.